Welcome into another episode of Mile High Bourbon and Rye, a Colorado craft podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Mile High Bourbon and Rye, a Colorado craft podcast. If this is your first time joining, my name is Zach, and I love Colorado everything, from hiking, sports, snowboarding, anything you can do outdoors, to all of the wonderful craft beverages that are made right here in the Centennial State. This week, I want to talk a little bit about history, the process, ingredients, rules, and regulations for making bourbon. Bourbon is the American spirit. It's an American spirit through and through, and the roots of it may go all the way back to Ireland and Scotland, but you won't find it anywhere outside of the United States. Before jumping in, I wanted to talk about a couple of things for the site just in general, for the podcast and for the website. I First off, I want to remind everybody our store is up, and we are now able to ship orders across the U.S. for the rocks classes that we have for sale. I am curious to know if anybody is interested in any other merchandise so if you are interested in a hat or you know anything else that you can think of you can email us at reviews at milehighbourbon.com touch base with us through social media or any of those types of platforms i'm definitely curious for feedback if you have a glass let me know what you think about it if you are looking to possibly get something else or whatever your feedback might be let us know, let me know, so that I can try and get some stuff up there that you guys would definitely be interested in. The next thing I want to talk about is I am toying with the idea of trying to set up a Discord server for Mile High Bourbon and Rye. This would be a community platform to just chat with people, have different spots where you could talk about what you're drinking, what craft beverages you're liking, what you might be cooking or eating. We could add more chat groups in there. I'm a huge sports guy, obviously, so we could do a thing for different sports. I'm a huge video game guy, so we could do a chat for video games. Just basically a way to get everybody interacting and communicating on the site. I think that would be an awesome thing to do. So if you guys are interested, let me know, and if I get enough interest, I will go ahead and launch that Discord server. Uh, a couple of last notes here. I am changing the podcast to monthly instead of every other week. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep into kind of the personal life stuff, but I've already got a full-time job. I'm looking at potentially a second job, at least for a little while. I've got, you know, family stuff to take care of. I've got things outside of this that I just don't have time to do this as often as I want to. Uh Obviously, there's just some things that are going to take priority, and I don't actually just mean playoffs for Avs and Eagles and, you know, other Colorado teams like the Nuggets or the Mammoth in there. I do have some legitimate other things to work on, so so I am going to push this back to just monthly instead of every other week. Hopefully, if I get everything kind of more settled or I'm able to record more often, I will start recording a little bit more often. 
Now, I also do just want to touch quickly-ish on the Avs playoffs, unfortunately coming to an end as of the day I'm recording this. Playoff hopes were dashed last night in Game 7. Of course, another Game 7 that the Avs lose. If you guys are following me on social media, you know that I was definitely really into the series, really following it closely. There are some questionable things that happened, but ultimately, it just wasn't a season to repeat. I am thrilled for the communication that I had with other fans of the team through social media. I enjoyed talking to everybody about it, and I am very disappointed that they won't be able to continue their defense of the cup run this year, but was thrilled to be able to do it. I also recently was able to attend not only my first Eagles game, but also my second Eagles game, the second one being a playoff game as well, and those are absolute blast. It's so much fun, smaller arena, so there's, I mean, there's not a bad seat when I go to watch the Avs play, but you go up and you see the Eagles, and it's, there's not a bad seat anywhere in the house, so if anybody else is, you know, interested in talking about those, that could definitely be something that we do on, uh, on a Discord server, but otherwise, on social media, I'm usually up for conversations on that, so let's talk all of those things, but I won't sit here and just jab at you about sports for the entirety of this episode. I will actually talk about bourbon. So with this week's episode being bourbon, I am, of course, sipping on a bourbon. I have from Distillery 291 in Colorado Springs, their High Rye Colorado Bourbon Whiskey. It is a barrel proof sitting at 126.8 proof or 63.4% alcohol by volume. It is high rye mash bill. I don't have the spirits on what that is, and it is aged at least a year and then finished with aspen staves. It is an absolutely phenomenal pour. I am always a big fan of the aspen finished everything. I like all the stuff that's come out that has aspen staves in it. 291 does a great job. Lock and Co. puts out some really great stuff as well. But the rye with the Aspen is really just an excellent combination. Throw that on the fact that when you take the sip, this is a barrel proof, but you would not think it. I mean, it's it's definitely hotter. It's not, you know, like just drinking a glass of water by itself. But it is so less hot than I expected looking at the 126.8 proof. The Aspen staves really come through on the nose. You get a lot of that fall in Colorado type of smell. I also love the baking spices of the rye whiskey. The bourbon mash adds it or makes it a little bit more sweet. It is just an absolutely great, absolutely great pour. So I will probably be talking a little bit more about that as we talk about today's main topic. And that is just bourbon in general. As I said... It is America's spirit, but it is rooted in tradition much older than the nation itself, and yet still reserved exclusively for the United States. The true origin of bourbon is a bit of a mystery. I have heard many different theories and claims to where bourbon started, who was the first one to distill it, where it originally came from, but I've never actually found one true answer. If you think you know it, let me know, but I don't. 
I don't really know that there is a 100% correct answer, that we'll know which one it is. I'm sure there is one, but I'm not sure that we'll ever know exactly which one it is. The name itself is even a bit of a mystery, as the idea is that it's named for Bourbon County, Kentucky. However, in an article I found published by Smithsonian Magazine, a bourbon expert says this is actually highly unlikely, and that bourbon got its name from Bourbon Street in New Orleans. So, not even 100% could I find where the name comes from, why it's, who originally made it, anything like that. So, what exactly is bourbon? Well, in order for a whiskey to be called bourbon, there's a certain set of rules that have to be followed. Number one, it has to be made in the United States. There is still some misconception that bourbon has to be made in Kentucky, but this is not true. If you like Colorado bourbon like I do, then this is a piece of information that you are probably already aware of. Rule number two, it must be made from a mash of at least 51% corn. Now, lots of bourbons use lots of different mash bills and can use as much or as little of the other grains as the distiller chooses as long as it is a minimum 51% corn. There are three common grains, most common grains, to found, be found in bourbon. That is rye, wheat, and barley. Typically, barley is malted. However, any grains can be used, and one that I have seen before is in a very well-known and sought-after bourbon, and that is, the grain is amaranth. So, you literally can put other stuff in it, still have it called bourbon, but those are the most common grains used. Rule number three, it must be distilled to no more than 160 proof or 80% alcohol by volume. Rule number four, it must be aged in new charred oak barrels and cannot exceed, 120, cannot exceed 125 proof when entering the barrel. Another common belief on bourbon is that it must be aged for at least two years. However, this is not a requirement per the TTB. By the letter of the law, if you put your whiskey that meets all the other requirements into a barrel, and 48 seconds later you pull it out of that barrel and bottle it, you can call it a bourbon. I probably would not recommend that, but you can technically call it a bourbon. The exception to this is labeling a whiskey as straight bourbon, which requires a minimum of two years, and a bottled and bond, which requires at least four years to be aged in the barrel. As another quick aside, while some wines and beers will age in the bottle, a bourbon does not. So a two-year straight bourbon that sits on a shelf for 16 years before somebody purchases it is still a two-year straight bourbon. It's not an 18-year-old whiskey now, it's still just a two-year whiskey. They don't gain or lose anything from sitting in the sealed bottle. Rule number five. It cannot have any flavors or colors added to the whiskey. Everything must come from the distillation and aging process. This is definitely a key point for a long time. You were able to just... There was no real regulation, so you kind of throw a bunch of tobacco in there, make it a little bit darker, add some flavor, oh, you're still calling it a bourbon. But you're not actually... It's not following what the true nature of the spirit was. The spirit of the spirit, if you will. I apologize. I usually save the Jad jokes for the end of the episode, but that one I'll just go ahead and throw in there. So this rule is definitely a, a very important one in order to keep 
the bourbon being truly the spirit that you're expecting it to be. So with all of that being said, let's take a quick break and come back for the grains and then the rest of the process of making bourbon. Spring is here and summertime is coming right around the corner, which means it's time to invite some friends over, launch up that grill in the backyard and have a great time. But if you realize that you're all set up, people have come over to the house and you don't have any beverages for them, don't worry because Drizzly is here to help. With Drizzly, you can place an order on the app and receive beer, wine, or spirits directly to your door in as little as 60 minutes. That's right, 60 minutes or less delivery in most areas with Drizzly. Follow the link in the show notes, and you will get $5 off your first order of $20 or more. That's right, just follow our link down here in the show notes below, and you will get $5 off your first order of $20 or more delivered right to your door. So be sure to check out Drizzly and follow that link to help support Mile High Bourbon and Rye at the same time. All right, now let's talk some about the process and the flavors that come from the process of making bourbon. Choosing the mash bill is a key step for distillers to create a bourbon that is truly there. Each grain gives its own distinct flavor profile. I'm going to do a quick, brief glance at the four major grains of bourbon. Obviously, as we discussed, the majority, grain, gr- the majority grain in bourbon, corn. It provides some sweet notes and is the main catalyst for the fermentation of the wort. If you have ever done homebrew or you are familiar with the distilling process, you know that wort is what is made prior to it being distilled. Before it's like drinkable, it's the fermented product that's going to be refined down. The next grain is malted barley really the OG grain. Malted barley has been used for whiskey production basically since the beginning of distilling spirits. The malting process allows the barley to sprout, which create enzymes to help the fermentation process along. This gives notes of chocolate, cereal, nutty, and malty flavors. If you've had a malty whiskey, you know the malt really is its own flavor. As a side note, unmalted barley can be used. This gives a more fruit-forward note, more cereal grain notes instead of the chocolate, the nuttiness, or the malt. Unmalted barley you'll see a lot in Irish whiskey, which that process started when malted barley was being heavily taxed by the English, and they wanted whiskey without having to pay the heavy tax. So what did the Irishmen do? They created a whiskey that was a blend of 50% malted and 50% unmalted barley. If you would like a good example of this, Talnua Distillery in Arvada continues this tradition right here in Colorado today. The third grain we will talk about is rye. Rye is the spicy one. This is where you get those rye bread notes, the baking spice notes, some of the white pepper, even some of the kind of earthy, crisp bell pepper notes. Those types of flavors are what is coming from the rye grain. The final grain that we'll talk about is wheat. Wheat typically softens the whiskey a little bit, making it a little bit more approachable and enhancing the flavors of other grains. Also helps to enhance the flavors from the barrel. Wheat can also impart some sweetness on it, or even really give like a the wheat kind of flavor profile. If you've had wheat bread versus like a rye bread, you'll know sort of those flavor notes that are going to come from each grain. 
Most of these notes are from my tasting experience. However, the Whiskey Wash does have a great page on grains, and I have linked that in the show notes. If you would like a good reference, I don't have a full write-up of these on Mile High Bourbon as of right now, but the Whiskey Wash does, and I will have that linked in the show notes so you can go check that out. In Colorado, there's lots of farmland and lots of places to get grain from. One of the bigger dis- one of the bigger suppliers of grain to Colorado distilleries is Whiskey Sisters Supply. Laws Distillery sources from specific areas to create whiskey from a specific terroir-focused... They're really focusing on one area in the same way that a wine producer would. The grains used absolutely can affect the flavors of the whiskey. Different rye from different parts of the country or different parts of the world provide different flavors for the final spirit. A great example of this comes from our recent interview with Mile High Spirits, which, if you haven't already, go check out that episode. And then check out their Single Barrel Triple Rye, which has grains used from three different parts of the world, each one imparting its own flavor. So there's a there's a good reason that someone like Mile High Spirits is looking to find specific rye grains in order to use in their whiskey. There's a good reason that Laws Distillery is making a very... This comes from this part of the world. We're making specifically this grain. It really does make a huge difference, and that is honestly a really cool fact. It's something that if I cut down rye from Colorado versus rye from Montana, I'm going to get a little bit different of a flavor. Really neat, definitely fun. Go check out Mile High Spirits and Ma's Whiskey to see kind of some more of how that all works. The next ingredient is water. One of the most important factors in bourbon, really any whiskey, is good water. There is a reason that Kentucky produces the vast majority of bourbon in the world, and honestly produces a lot of really good bourbon. And that's typically attributed to their limestone water. That's how they got the start there. The limestone is a natural purifier, it adds some mineral flavors, and it just creates for a fantastic final product. However, the Rocky Mountains are no slouch when it comes to producing water as well, which can honestly be considered a big contributor to Colorado whiskey production. The fact that water can also be purified, minerals added, flavor changed in the water, does allow for the growth of the production of whiskey outside of the state of Kentucky. You can more closely mimic, but I don't think you're going to find anything as good as that natural flavor that just shows up in, you know, some of the better water parts of the world. Again, I think it is a decent reason why Colorado has launched off a a whiskey scene. Water is used in almost every step of the production process. It's the most used ingredient, maybe only behind time. And I don't mean time the spice, I mean time the clock. The first step that happens is the grains are mashed and mixed with water, and that's then mixed with yeast and turned into what's called a wort. It's basically being turned into beer. It's the base of the spirit. The fermentation process takes up to a couple of weeks and creates a low alcohol product. Again, very similar to how beer is made. Once the beer has been produced, fermentation is stopped, the liquid is strained and moved to the still. Now that is a lot of grains that are typically left behind, but most distilleries actually send this spent grain back to farms where it's used as feed for farm animals. 
doesn't contain any alcohol, but allows the grains to be used once again and not wasted, while still also getting important nutrients to animals who need them. It's an excellent win-win, and it's awesome to see so many distilleries pick up this practice. Once the wort makes it into the still, it's the still is then used to turn that mash into whiskey. Since alcohol evaporates at a lower temperature than water and other components in the wort, the alcohol rises up first in the still, where it is then moved over to condense back down into a liquid. There are a couple of types of stills that are typically used, pot still and column still. Pot stills, round on the bottom, typically shorter, and a column still is typically taller and is also known as a continuous still. A pot still is typically used for batches where a continuous still can run continuously, even if the name implies exactly that. A taller still will also allow for more of the extra pieces attached to the alcohol to become detached, making it a crisper, cleaner, lighter mouthfeel spirit. More oily, heavy-bodied spirits typically come from shorter stills and specifically pot stills. If you're looking for some examples of this, pot still Irish whiskey is huge, and you'll get a lot more of the oily notes in a whiskey like that. Whereas, it's not whiskey, but if you look at a vodka that is typically multi-distilled, it does the, has the same effect as the taller still. Pulls a lot of those things out. A vodka is crisp, clean, nothing, like, they don't want anything left attached to it. They want it to be as crisp and clean as possible. That's going to be the big, the big difference between... Pot stills, column stills, multi-distillation, all of those things. Obviously, in a whiskey, you're not trying to make a neutral flavored spirit. You want the spirits from the or the flavors from the grain to come through, so you're not going to go through maybe quite as tall. But if you want it to be crisper, a little bit cleaner, less of an oily mouthfeel, you'd go through either a tall, probably go through a taller column still, versus doing a shorter pot still. That distillate is then once again blended with water to get it down to the proof to enter the barrel and then age. The barrel is another, as I'm sure you can imagine, very important piece of the whiskey making process. The amount of char that a barrel has will affect the flavors as well as how long a whiskey needs to spend before it is to the point where the distiller wants it to be. Traditionally, there are four levels of char on a whiskey barrel. Char level one is about 15 seconds. I think it's actually exactly 15 seconds. This is the lowest you can find. It's not really used basically anywhere. Maybe home distillers, maybe if you're doing it on your own. It's going to bring a little bit of color and flavor, but it's not going to bring a whole heck of a lot. A level 2 char is 30 seconds. Another less used char level, the level 2 kind of starts to bring a bit more of the wood and sugar notes as they start to caramelize in the wood, so you're going to get more of that caramel flavor. You're going to get more of the, uh, like, vanilla, maybe even a little brown sugar. Level 3 is 35 seconds, only 5 seconds longer than a level 2, but that really makes a difference to the barrel. This is where the sugars are really starting to come up to the surface on the inside of the barrel. They're really starting to caramelize. It's really starting to bring in a lot of the sweet notes like the caramel and vanilla, brown sugar, etc. It's This is really where that starts to show. And then a level 4 char is 55 seconds and also known as the alligator char. 
if you've ever seen the inside of a barrel or seen the different wood char levels, you know why this one is called an alligator char. It takes on the appearance of alligator skin as the wood cracks and begins to peel away. While the bourbon is aging in a barrel, the number one thing that it does is it moves in and out. It interacts with the barrel. So having the alligator char means that the split, cracked, peeling surface creates actually more area for the whiskey to interact with as it's sitting in the barrel. Another added benefit of alligator char is the charcoal filtration, which literally moves some of the unwanted compounds out of the whiskey. The charcoal from the char acts much in the same way that something like your home water filter might do. If you've ever, if you own like a Brita water filter and you've ever opened it up and you got to rinse it out to get the gray out of it and, you know, stop it from having the little bits of charcoal, it's, it's the same principle. So there's a ton of information there. This is a lot that I've learned from many distillers over the years, but there's one real good succinct spot that I've used often for char levels, and that's Rabbit Hole Distillery. Uh, I'll link that in the show notes. It's just a great reference for information on these. Now, as I alluded to earlier, the final ingredient to making a bourbon exactly the way you want is time. The time spent in the barrel will change the color and the flavor, maybe mellowing out some of the harsher notes from the distillate itself, adding some of the recognizable sweetness that bourbon is known for. The longer it sits in, the more that it's going to pick up the flavors from that barrel, the more that you're going to get a different spirit than you had before you put it into the barrel. After the aging process is complete, the whiskey is filtered, sometimes chill filtered, sometimes regular filtered. It can be cut down to a specific proof by adding more water, and then it is bottled. As I said, the filtration process can be a basic filter to just remove any large particles from the whiskey so you don't have any chunks of wood sitting in your pour. Or you can do a chill filter on it. Now, I have yet to come to a conclusion myself on my final thoughts on chill chill filtration. It really boils down to the distiller's choice on whether it is something that is beneficial or if it's potentially harmful to the final flavor of the whiskey or if it's really just a neutral thing. Again, as I said earlier, there are oils and fats that are present in the distillate. And if you're not going through all of the distillation steps or you don't have the world's tallest column still, you're going to have those in the final process. When that whiskey gets chilled down, those parts become more solid, easier to filter out. The main benefit this provides is clarity specifically on the shelf. When you're walking through a store, if you see a non-chill filtered bottle next to a chill filtered bottle and it's a little bit cooler in the store, you can look and actually see more of the oil and a little bit of cloudiness in the non-chill filtered barrel, whereas in the chill filtered barrel, it will look... It'll have the color of a bourbon, but it'll be clear. It'll be easy to see straight through. The counter-argument to doing this is that by removing some of these oils and the fats, you are removing some of the flavor of the spirit. Ultimately, there's no right or wrong answer here. Much like your opinion on whether you drink your whiskey neat on the rocks with water added to it, it's all going to be personal choice. So do some research, learn for yourself, figure out what you like best, and that's going to be the correct answer. I honestly don't think I have a preference one way or the other. I think it's, it's 
the distiller typically has a good idea of what it is that they're trying to make, and if they decide to chill filter it, then that's probably the right call for that whiskey. And if they decide to not chill filter it, that's probably the right call for that whiskey. Once it's bottled and labeled, it is boxed up and shipped out to everyone who wants to purchase it, which brings us to the final finishing step of bourbon, where I and most everyone else comes in. Now we open it up, and now we drink it. This is the easiest step of all. You open it, you pour it into a glass, you add an ice cube, you add a little water, keep it neat, make a cocktail, whatever you'd like. Just enjoy it and enjoy responsibly. The process in making bourbon, I believe, is a really good thing to understand in seeing why Colorado is producing such excellent products. Again, I think Rocky Mountain water is a huge part. The climate here tends to lend itself a lot to more interaction with the barrels as it gets super hot in the summer, you're getting a lot of interaction. The whiskey's going in and out. You're getting a lot of evaporation out of it, so you're going to lose a decent amount to angel share. But then in the winter, it gets to sit a little more dormant and just kind of percolate. You're not losing as much. There's not as much interaction, but it's still, you know, just getting to to blend and kind of flavor itself. It's So you have the climate, you have the rocky, the rocky Mountain water, and... The bigger thing is another thing that was touched on in my Mile High Spirits interview that uh, their master distiller, Tyler, brought up, and I think is a great point. The passion of the people who enjoy the spirit consistently drive these distillers to work even harder to make a terrific product. And honestly, they're doing a great job about it. That brings us to the conclusion of another episode of Mile High Bourbon and Rye, a Colorado craft podcast. I hope you've enjoyed a little bit of information about the production of bourbon. If you enjoyed this episode or you're enjoying the show overall, leave us a review on Spotify, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or share this with whiskey lovers in your life, whether they're new to the spirit or have been enjoying it for a long time. If they've been enjoying for a long time, have them give me some feedback or you give me some feedback. Let me know what your thoughts are. Are there things that I missed in this that are really key to touch on? Are there some things that maybe you disagree with? Maybe chill filtration is absolutely the only way to go for you and you want to let me know. Please do reach out. Let us know. I'm going to take a brief moment to have another sip of this 291H uh, high rye. Again, it's it is fall in Colorado is the aspen stave flavor that you get. There are definitely some caramel and vanilla notes coming from that barrel for sure. The mid palate is tons, tons of baking spice, spicy white pepper. It's a little earthy. Got kind of that, like just very. Very, yeah, earthy is the best way to describe it. Very earthy type of flavors as well. Finish is long, and my goodness, it is delicious. So, find yourself a bottle of 291 High Rye if you haven't already, and give it a shot. If you'd like to support the show, you can support by purchasing merchandise off the website at milehighbourbon.com shop, or you can donate directly to us through the PayPal link. Links for both of those are in the show notes. I've also included links to the sites that I used, as I mentioned above, for references to make sure all my information was correct. Please follow us on social media. Just search Mile High Bourbon and Rye on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Check out the site again, milehighbourbon.com. Come have a good time talking whiskey with us. Having good time. Have a good time talking whiskey with us. Have a good time talking sports with us. 
that's what this is. I really just want to have that conversation with people. I want I want to share my enjoyment of this spirit with everybody, and hopefully I can get some people to enjoy it with me. Now, I do always finish with a dad joke, and I figure I'll put it in right here. I wanted to tell a joke about a stone, but I think I'll just skip it. As always, thank you so much to Roma Ransom for providing the intro and outro music, and until next time, cheers. (laughs) 